Welcome to Terminal Talk, episode 22. The deuce deuce. You've always got something, don't you? Yeah, that's kind of my thing. Okay. Can't wait until prime number 23, because I've got nothing for that. Oh, it'll be the Michael Jordan episode. <laughs> All right. Well, right now, we're... We should interview Michael Jordan for number 23. Yeah, we'll work, I'll work on that. In the meantime... No, the, the, the encryption guy. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. In the meantime... We have, as a guest today, Rosalind Radcliffe. If you hang out with uh, IBM Z Circles, uh, you would probably think that the Rosalind Radcliffe is something you install when you're doing DevOps. Uh, she is synonymous with it, and we're very lucky to have her here. Yeah, she she gives us a lot of important information, and maybe we've kind of uh, been kind of mean to her in the beginning, but I think you're going to find that there's some really valuable information. She gave the snark back in spades, though, <laughs> so it all works out. There you go, Rosalind Radcliffe. Here's two guys who certainly aren't operating with a full deck. It's Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. We are extremely lucky to sit here. Hashtag blessed. With the awesome Rosalind Radcliffe, who is a DevOps guru. That's one way of putting it. And distinguished engineer. Important distinguished engineer. No, just... Just distinguished engineer. Thank oh, you. Okay. Cool. So, um, our first question is: uh, So, when did you stop doing mainframe and started doing uh, DevOps? What do you mean, stop doing mainframe? I'm still doing mainframe. I thought DevOps is like this distributed thing, right? Yeah. DevOps is not this distributed thing. DevOps is something, a way of working that everyone on the planet should be using. Well, and at some point in time, DevOps, the term will go away. But the idea of the cultural transformation to have everybody working together makes sense for everybody because, you know, the mainframe is the most modern platform we have on this planet. You might as well use the modern development practices and operations practices for it, too. So we, we've heard the word, but what, what does DevOps really mean in terms of difference? Well, DevOps is really a culture. It really is saying that everyone should be working together, break down the silos, break down the brick walls, and automate. So automate everything you possibly can. A lot of people will describe it as bringing agile and lean together, so agile practices and lean principles. Just get rid of all the waste, remove all the barriers, remove all the handoffs. Let everybody actually work together to deliver business value. So what, why do I need all this if I already, already have ISPF and a whole bunch of rec scripts? Oh, you really just want to make me angry. <laughs> <sighs> so just so everyone knows, I started in ISPF development 30 years ago. <laughs> That's so why I'm, we thought it was a good question. <laughs> yeah, so I'm allowed to pick on it. Uh, so, so you were at five at the time? No. Right? No, I, I was a little older than okay. that. I'd graduated college. I'd gotten married already, you know. Yeah, I was almost an adult, almost, not quite 21, but okay. So ISPF is, was a way of doing development in the 1980s. What else do you do that's the same as the 1980s? Do we still have phones attached to walls? Do, no. Okay. Yeah, I know. There's still some desk phones around, but mostly... There's a token ring, Jack, right behind you. <laughs> Okay, but does anybody use it anymore? Okay, made my point. ISPF will be there as the command prompt 
to ZOS forever. Yes. But that's not what you need to use for development. You might as well use modern tools and modern practices. Why shouldn't you have a modern IDE for your development? Why shouldn't you have a modern SEM? Why not take advantage of all the things that have come out over the years for ZOS as well? And ISPF is okay. It's just not today. <laughs> for for those at home, it was the world's biggest eye roll I've ever seen. <laughs> Some things never change. Right. <laughs> so I don't need ISPF. What am I going to use to develop? Use an Eclipse-based IDE. We have IBM Developer for Z, which is a Eclipse-based environment, it gives you the same kind of function that you have for Java. you got code completion. You've got program understanding. You've got things like code rules to tell you whether or not you're following the language correctly. You've got something like called ZUnit. Imagine, you know, JUnit with a Z instead. So you can do your unit testing. All of the things that you do in the distributed world, you have for Z as well. So do I have to buy a bunch of IBM products to do this? Yeah, yes. how do I install DevOps? Yeah. You can't. What version of DevOps do I need to uh, install? You can't install DevOps. You can't buy DevOps. It's a cultural transformation, but you do need tools. And yes, if you want to do it the most effectively, you're going to get Rational Team Concert with IBM Developer for Z and Urban Code Deploy as your base pipeline. And... If you're gonna, uh, if your company's already using Git and they're gonna use Git for everything else, then you can use Git as the SCM, and you can use a new tool called dependency-based build that we're building that will allow you to do Groovy-based build scripts for your ZOS environment. So, no, you don't have to buy a whole bunch of new tools. You can, in many cases, use the existing tools, just use them in a way that they work for ZOS. So those tools will work great with my existing SCLM manager? No, SCLM... SCLM is an existing host-based library manager from IBM, similar to a number of other vendors' products. They are library managers, not SCMs. If you want a real source code manager, you need to get something that actually understands differences, allows you to do branching, allows you to do parallel development, all, you know, those modern kind of things. And Rational Team Concert, or Git, give you those functions. And so, no, you should never use SCLM or any of those other library managers anymore. And it, really, why should you? I mean, if you're 20-something and you've been doing development in college or playing with source code, you're going to have used Git or something like Git. And when you get to a library manager, where's my versioning? How do I see my differences? How do I do my code merge? None of that's there. But I've been using it for a really long time. Okay, so if you're my age and you're 50 plus, get over it. Um, <laughs> really, pretty much. Really and truly, yes, I understand that we may have been doing things exactly the same way for the last 30 years. But really, I'm not kidding. Do you really want to only have a phone that's attached to the wall? Do you really want to have bunny ears on your TV? Really? 
No. You really want that cell phone that's attached to you. You really have cable or DirecTV or something. You don't do things the same way that you did them in the 1980s. So why is your development the same? Well, how hard is it going to be, seriously, how hard is it going to be for me to move from those? I've got, you know, millions, if not billions of lines of code in those old source code managers. How how do I get them to get or, you know, rational? How do, how do I do that? Yeah, do I do everything at once or do a new thing start over there and time over time everything is there? So the way your Z application works is it's probably a big monolithic application, and it probably has a whole bunch of shared copybooks throughout the entire environment. So you can't move piece by piece. You actually have to move application by application, but you don't want to move more than one application at once because this is really a change for the users, as well as a change for the system. So you need to pick a team and move their application first. We have business partners that have automated tools that know how to pull all the source out and move it. So it's not fast. It's not a weekend, but it's not years either. You're going to take some time to move each team to train them on the new tools. Now, if you start with IDZ and they've at least gotten used to an Eclipse-based interface first, it's probably easier. But then you just yeah, move team by team and you use the automation to pull it out and to put it in the new system. You have to do some thought process because I'll bet in that old library manager, you just have all the parts sitting in one PDS. And now you have the option of componentizing. You can actually group related files. How about that? So things that are related together can be together. Yeah. Okay. New concepts, <laughs> new ideas. It, it is a dramatic change, yes, but, you know, it's good for you. And then you're now in a modern tool. You've got modern practices. You can add in code review. You can do the automated testing. Imagine you can check in a test case at the same time you check in the source code. You can't do that with the existing library managers. So let's just make life easier for the developers, actually, by moving to the 21st century, please. So if, if I move to, to all this new stuff, um, does this make me better prepared or more, more vulnerable as new stuff comes out? Because it seems like the the windows for what's hot is, have, have been shrinking a lot lately. Yeah, one of the things that we've done with the new work we're doing with Git and the new dependency-based build is um, you you might be able to tell that I really like RTC and I'm not sure I really like Git. In fact, I'm going to make it work. <laughs> I, I think that I'll come across even with audio only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really like Git. I have to use it for the robotics team that I work with. And so I know Git, I understand Git, but I don't really like it. So what we're building in our new dependency-based build system is a groovy-based build system that allows you to work with Git or whatever new that comes along next right. so we can get rid of the git when, when we get something better. Uh, so we're trying not to keep it so well tied. The other thing we've actually done with this Groovy-based build definition is really we're building a set of Java APIs in the background, and we just use Groovy as the scripting language in front. So if the next best scripting language comes along, just like we had Maven and then we have Gradle, 
you know, we can always move to that. So we're trying not to lock it in in the same way to allow this separation. Now, you said, you said groovy a lot, and Frank says it a lot, too, along with, like, hip and cool. <laughs> uh, what, what is this groovy thing? <laughs> groovy is a scripting language. Kind of like Rex? No. But yes, Rex is a language that as a Z guy, you would understand. Rex or C-list, if you want to go back <laughs> even further. Uh, or, you know, there are lots of different scripting languages in the world. Perl, take your choice of. And it's just another one. It's more Java-like. It's a nice way of putting it. Uh, and it was it's just simple to write. It's a scripting language, so you don't have to worry about compiling it, though it is compilable. And you can build a bunch of scripts to do your builds. And the important thing and the reason why we chose Groovy was we actually looked at Ant, and the customer said, that's old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we went to Groovy because that's the current new thing and because Gradle is really a definition on Groovy. And so if you're using Gradle as your build system in yeah. the distributed space, Groovy makes sense. Urban Code Deploy uses Groovy for their plugins. So it's a language that's that's becoming more popular and it's a today language. So why not? So I've got this Groovy thing which sounds cool. Uh and how do I connect that to MVSC things. So the APIs that we're providing allow us to do things like an MVS command, ISPF command, or a TSO command in Groovy. So we added it. So now in your Groovy, you can just run those commands. So kind of like Groovy can replace your JCL in many ways Hmm. to kind of allow you to do things in Groovy instead, and we're looking at providing a JCL to Groovy converter for our build system so that we'll have an easy way of doing that, though we'll see what we do. We may also provide a run JCL in Groovy, so you can do things in Groovy and then just run a job and then get the results back. Uh, But the other thing you're going to do is use things like, let's say, Jenkins. So you're going to have a Jenkins server sitting in your distributed environment. It's going to be coordinating your builds out there. And you know what? It's going to do exactly the same thing on ZOS. You can push the Jenkins slave directly to the Unix system services part. And ZOS can look just like a build server for all the other platforms. Why is it any different? And so in our environment, right, that would just be another address space? Yep. Awesome. Just another process running in the system. I mean, isn't that what you do on any other build system server, really? Well, on some of the other ones, it's an actual server. Well, but you're running the Groovy process on the server. I mean, the Jenkins process on the server, just like you're running it on ZOS. We're just making it look, we're doing everything we can to make the build process look the same as you would do on any other system. So any other system, you're going to have a build server. You're going to push the Jenkins slave to it. You're going to put the groove, the Git client on it, and you're going to put your build scripts there. Done. And I don't have to, like, wrap it in 50 special escape Z characters in order to make it work? No, it handles all the translation for you. The Rocket software 
did a great job of porting Git to ZOS, the Git client to right. ZOS. So now it's running there, and it handles the ASCII to EBCDIC translation for the files that need to be translated. Now, you may have some things you want to leave in ASCII. That's fine. And there are things you need in EBCDIC. So it handles that translation. And when we run Groovy on ZOS, we need it in EBCDIC. So we're doing the conversion. They're running in EBCDIC. Everything works just fine. It's great. And this will let people kind of scale the way that they've been used to doing it in uh, a swipe or credit card cloud type environment a lot more easily. It, it's just the same. I mean, it it really is just the same. We're trying to make it identical. I can set up the system so I can build all the different branches I want to, just like I do in the distributed space. I can have all the different environments I want to. And since I have ZDNT, so Z development and test environments, I can literally run it in the cloud. What do you mean, like in the cloud? I can run ZOS in the cloud and do this in the cloud. So I can run a ZOS system in the cloud? Yeah. How, how much does that cost me? It's just it's just a ZDNT <laughs> license and it's you don't pay for the ZOS software. At least from IBM, we give you the ZOS software stack running on top of ZDNT. And so you you get ZDNT and it's nowhere near the price of, you know, Z. Uh, in any stretch of the imagination or the Z software, but you run that in your cloud environment, and then you run any of our software. You've got to talk to the other vendors to figure out what they're going to do. But from our perspective, we let you run the software there so you can do all your development and test. Now, keep in mind, this is development and test. You can't run production on a ZD&T. Think about it. ZOS is the reason the reason ZOS exists is because of its reliability, its stability, its scalability, and you're running ZOS in this case on Intel hardware. Yeah, so you get the reliability characteristics of the Intel hardware. Yeah, plus the box just looks really cool and you you wouldn't have that then. <laughs> That's true. You need or, a cool box. You really do. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you need 5 MIP machine, right? Yeah. There there you go. It, this is a lot more than a it, yeah it's yeah. not a tiny box oh cool it, it's it's not a real it's not running real z hardware so it doesn't perform like real z hardware especially when it comes to io but it's not a small box you can run a reasonable amount of work we say about 20 developers could use a machine if you want so your pizza team your two pizza box teams can use the machine no problem and you can do it for all the automated testing you need up until you get to the late scalability performance kind of testing and then that has to run on real z hardware so if it works on that on that on that system it may it's very easy just to to port it over to the real box well, you're just going to use Urban Code Deploy to deploy it onto ZDNT and then just deploy it into the real box just anyway. Just change the target. Just change the target, and I'm done. And it just works. I mean, it, and it, it, it's real ZOS. It's, it's not an emulator. It's a Z hardware emulator. So it's real ZOS, SMPE, installable ZOS. So there's no difference. So anything you run on ZDNT, you're running it on Z. So I want to go back to something you said earlier. You talked about changing your monolithic applications into something more modular. 
Are you going to make that easier for me to do, or do I have to just slog through the code and make it happen? Mm, there are two answers to that. One, if you have a DevOps pipeline and you have the right automated testing, then I've made it easier, even if you have to slog through the code to do it, because I have an automated testing pipeline that proves that you didn't break it. But there are capabilities in IDZ to help refactor, and there are capabilities in application discovery to help you understand your application better so you're not slogging through. You actually get pretty good pointers about, I can make this a service, or these pieces are intertwined, so you need to do work in these areas. So you've got a lot of pointers, a lot of help, and IDZ helps with the refactoring. And we're, do we're doing more work in that to try and make refactoring even easier. You will have to do development work. We can't take that away. Sorry, but programmers actually like to do development last time I checked. Mm. They just don't like testing. So if you've got the automated testing pipeline, then I can do the development fun part and just submit it into the pipeline, and then I don't have to worry about it. The, the system tells me whether or not I broke it or not. So for the, the company that says we have a 40-year-old a application, no one knows how it works, and we have all these younger people coming in who are used to the newer tools, it sounds like there's a very uh, direct path um, and some tools that will make that happen. Absolutely. And now there is no substitute sort of for, you know, real knowledge. Right. But really application discovery is going to give you all the dependencies. It's going to give you the program flow. It's going to tell you all these interconnected pieces. So you really do know how the application flows. And in some cases, it points out to some of those old knowledgeable people, some of the dependencies they may have forgotten too. But okay, so here I've got my application flow and I can understand that. And I've got the tools that the kids are used to so they can just change the code. That's no big deal. The issue always is if I change something, what am I breaking? I, I, so I started an ISPF 30 years ago, right? Brand new kid into IBM. Do you think I was paranoid about changing code? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I had a regression bucket. We could run it. So the idea that I could run a set of tests and not be worried about breaking everything else. That's the important part. And then I change my code and, and everything goes on. And the code rules and, I mean, even if you don't know COBOL, which a lot of this is in COBOL, if you've got a modern IDE, it tells you how to fill in the COBOL. And, oh, by the way, COBOL is just English. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard. So um, imagine for a second that you're even younger than Jeff. I mean, you're back in the, the beginning of your career. How do you tell somebody who is old like me and set in their ISPF ways, how do you tell them to get them to move to something new, this, this new uh, DevOps world? And I'll remind you that this podcast does not have the explicit tag on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of ways you find the old guy who likes to try new things. And once you get one or two of the old guys seeing the real value. But the other way to do it is to make them do things that are so much easier to do in IDZ 
than in ISPF. So, for example, they have to do a Z unit or they have to build a unit test case. Well, you know that's really, really hard if you have to create it all in ISPF. But in IDZ, you click a few buttons and it generates it for you. So even as an old guy, uh, I'm not going to do – no, I'm going to go take the easy path. <laughs> and once you give me enough things that IDZ's easy path is easier, and once I get familiar with the fact that it's not so bad and it actually does things for me, it, really, us old guys – the problem is we have so many edit macros that we're just so used to that we can't live without them. And since I can't run them down in IDZ because it's not actually the ISPF editor, you freak out. But you don't need those things because IDZ has the equivalent of those things in other ways. So you don't need that edit macro that puts the the one I love the best. I used to have one. It would change flag every line of code because you have to change flag the lines of code because that's the only way to tell what you changed. Uh, modern SEM does that for you, so you don't need to do that anymore. Okay, little things like that. The renumber function. Well, IDZ gives you that, so if you really want to keep numbers, though I would suggest taking all the numbers off. Because nothing needs them anymore. Okay. And uh, let's see. What else did we use the edit macros well, I just for? I just sent you a note like two weeks ago about somebody who said, I would love to use the new stuff, but my JJ command isn't there. <laughs> yeah. So little things like how do I do my JCL checker? Right. So there are lots of things like Menu Manager or other tools that actually let you run JCL Checker if you really insist on running JCL Checker. But oh, by the way, the editor makes sure you write at least valid JCL syntax. So most of the reason you ran JCL Checker was to get the syntax right in the first place. Yep. Yeah, it's all there for you. So you've got a modern editor that shows you what to do. You still can run JCL Checker because there are additional values like local data set standards, et cetera, that it can do for you. But, yeah, you don't need it anymore. And you can just submit it from IDZ. It's not exactly the same way, but you submit it and you get all the results back. So there, you don't just do it differently. And as soon as you learn those differences, then it's not so bad. But it's, you know, you got to do something. You, we've got we've to move out of this ISPF world. And I know some companies that just turn off ISPF. Huh. Solves that problem. You can't <laughs> use it anymore. But that's a little extreme. Yeah. So help the guys understand, or the gals, whatever, understand what's there and the value of it and show them the new features that really help. And then they'll move. And give them a couple weeks. The other thing is you have to give people time to move to the new tools. You can't expect them to get exactly the same amount of work done for the first few weeks or a month. You need to give them time to learn. And as soon as they learn, then they can be more productive. And the studies show they can be significantly more productive. Even the old guys, significantly more Why are you productive. Why like For those that? following around at home, uh, <laughs> Rosalind is shooting a stare over in the desk at Frank. <laughs> well, he counts as one of the old guys. Yeah, it's the gray hair that gives it away every time. Yeah, let's let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, you've been around longer than I have, so you got to be an old guy. Yep. 
I definitely am. <laughs> hey, it's good to be. Sometimes. That's why I keep telling everybody, it's good to be old. Yeah. You know, it is, because you've got all this experience, you have this knowledge, you can pass it on to others, and we're closer to retirement. Retirement, what does that word mean? And that means the time when you have don't have to come to work all, every day. No. It's a good thing. Okay, so you say. It will happen. So, um, just so I understand, uh, 30 or so years ago, you were this ISPF person, you coded in ISPF, and then you one day got hit by the DevOps ferry and said, now you're going to do DevOps because... <laughs> That's funny. So, no, I spent a lot of time in IBM doing a lot of different things. And I spent time in systems management, actually, in the Tivoli organization responsible for deploying system software. So I spent a lot of time with the operations guys. And then I had an opportunity <laughs> to come into the development side and b build development tooling. And so when I came into the development side, I... I I could no longer use the excuse it's developer's fault. <laughs> and so I'd lived in this world of throwing things over the brick wall and having the problem. And so working with development tooling, it's pretty easy to realize that, you know, we've got to break down this brick wall. And so when this DevOps idea came out, even probably before the term came out, the idea of trying to bring the teams together was something that I was starting to push. And once the team once this term came out and the idea was hitting, it seemed to make perfect sense for me to go be a DevOps evangelist or a DevOps person because I've been in both worlds. I understand both sides. I can talk to operations just as well as I can talk to development. And it makes sense because if you have both sides of this world, it's easier to bring them together. I mean, I've introduced the head of ops to the head of development and companies. I mean, wait. I'm the IBMer coming in, and I'm introducing the head of ops to the head of dev. That's the problem. we got to stop. Yeah, so it's a lot more cultural than it is technical. The tools are there to support the cultural transformation. And since DevOps is all about automation, you do need tools. You need transparency. You need visibility. But you have to change the culture. You can't just automate a bad process because then you just have a bad process going faster. You need to do the cultural change. You need to move to this collaborative development environment where people are working together. And there you have dedicated teams working on delivering business value rather than throwing stuff over the walls. So you've been doing this for quite a few years now. How hard is it? I mean, how long does it take for a company to really make this shift? Is it a year, two years, 50 years? You know. So Nationwide's been on the path for 12 years. 12 years. So, but let me be clear. It's not 12 years to get value. But if you, well, Kix team's been on it even longer. If you think about DevOps as the bringing together of Agile and Lean, you realize that you're never done. It's a continuous transformation to continuously remove waste. But that doesn't mean you aren't getting value year one. You're going to you're going to pick the biggest problem and start there and remove that waste and then use that money to fund the next project to remove the next set of waste. And then so you're going to continually get value. But do I think anybody's going to be 
done? I hope not, because that means you've get you get stagnant. And as long as you continuously improve, then you get better and you keep getting better and you can innovate and you can do all the fun new things. And in today's business world, you can't afford to stagnate. I mean, you you have to be continuously transforming and getting better. I saw a quote on, on Twitter that I think you might like. It said, uh, having a dedicated DevOps person who does all the DevOpsing is like having a dedicated collaboration person who does all the collaborating. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah, so you can't have a DevOps team, but I'm going to caution, you probably sort of do have a DevOps team. So realistically, in a company, you may have a project or process or product called DevOps of a set of people responsible for the backbone of the DevOps tooling. Ah. So you may have this set of people that keep the backbone running. So they keep make sure you've got the Git and you've got the Jenkins and you've got the RTC or you've got whatever the tool set is that's running. And they provide the core and assistance to other teams. But the actual processes for each individual team are part of those individual teams. So to some extent, you may have this COE or this something. I mean, you look at companies like Target. They have the the DevOps dojos they come in and train in. They have all sorts of stuff. They do have a core DevOps team that helps with this. But it's not that that person does DevOps for the whole company. It's they assist all of the other teams in their DevOps work. So if I'm going to get started doing DevOps in my company, I start by building that team or... Or do I start by just picking something and going? Or You start with a DevOps workshop and do an assessment of where you are. That's one way to get started. You need to understand where your biggest business problem is that you want to address first. And for many people, now this is years ago now, and I think most people have probably already started. And if you haven't, then um, where are you? And why haven't you started? But, okay, many people started with distributed deployment because that was a mess. And they could gain lots of value in distributed deployment. Other people started with automating the deployment of the mainframe pieces that are not automated today. And before you tell me that every piece is actually automated because people always run JCL, (laughs) yes, but somebody runs the JCL today. That's called manual. (laughs) <laughs> have the tool do all of the steps. Have the have database updates, SQL updates, stored procedure updates, all done through a tool that runs all that and coordinates it. Other people start with modern tooling because they're just they've got to get there, and it depends. If you're really doing a DevOps transformation, I'd say you probably have a COE. You probably have a executive push. And development support, you have to have both sides. You won't get there without senior executive support because you have to have the time and the money to do it. But you also have to have development teams willing to transform. Okay, so there's there's already a DevOps environment out there. The distributed guys are doing it. How do I plug into that as a mainframe? You go find out what they're doing and cross your fingers. <laughs> So you hope they haven't chosen something that doesn't work on Z. Now, it's hard 
it's now hard to find now that TFS has moved to Git as its foundation. It's really hard to find somebody who's chosen something that won't work for Z. So take that pipeline and use it and start seeing what it'll take to move to it. Now, the one other place you have a problem is deployment. You have to have a tool that knows how to deploy on ZOS. But other than that, whatever they're using for work items and planning and transparency, do that. Take their agile transformation process and start applying it. Get the experts. I mean, they're going to have agile experts. Bring them into the team. Or start, you know, one thing some people do is they just bring the distributed and the Z teams together. Why they haven't done that already, different discussion. But just bring the two teams together so that they're working together. You can do pair programming, distributed and Z. And think about that. The distributed guy knows all the modern tools. They know about test-driven development. And the old Z guy knows how the application really works. They understand the business better, probably, because they've been there for years. And they probably actually have better coding practices. Um, uh, we used to learn how to do development in the old days. And and I'm not sure all that's true anymore. So the young guys actually learn some of the good development practices to make sure things are scalable and, and those kinds of things. So they each learn from each other. And you can do the transformation that way. So thank you for uh, spending time with us. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Happy to. And hopefully more people will actually take their Z shops and move them into the 21st century. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, that went a little long. Yeah, I feel like I got uh, assigned some homework there. Yeah, you can't cut her off once she starts. Definitely not. Once you are done with your homework, however, you could kindly forward it to us at contact at TerminalTalk.net, or you can reach out to us on the Twitter sphere at TerminalTalk. And you know, we're always looking at the mainframe subreddit, slash r slash mainframe. All right, that's it. Pencils down. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.